be respectful, listen attentively. Uh, our plan is to have them talk for a while, and then maybe toward the latter part of class, uh, we can do some Q and A. Would you like to ask about this, what they're talking Fine. about? Here's, let, let me start. Let me start this off here. So uh, I don't. I don't want to steal any of the thunder here, but I would like Erin to kind of tell a little bit of her story. Uh, during she went. Both both of them went to UGA, and uh, how many? A number of y'all are going to be going to UGA. How many of y'all are like leaning pretty strongly toward UGA as a possibility right now? Well, thank you. If that's, <laughs> maybe Erin, we can start off with with your story. Sure. Um, so to tell you a little bit about me and then kind of like work backwards me now, um, I am a wife, uh, as Mr. McAndrew said, my husband Ian is the worship leader at our church and he also works at UGA. Um, we have two kids. I have a five-year-old daughter named Amelia and a two-year-old son named Judah. And we have little, uh, undetermined gender on the way in February, uh, and I am a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home wife. So I went to UGA. Um, I graduated. We both graduated in 2015. I majored in um, English education. So I actually taught high school English for three years before I got pregnant with my daughter and then decided to stay home. So in college, I was a believer. Um, I do really think I was a believer uh, I think I became a Christian when I was about five or six and, of course, didn't fully understand what it meant to be a believer, what it meant to follow Christ, what it meant to fight sin, um, but just kind of gradually throughout the years and through high school, the Lord revealed more and more to me of what that actually means and what it looks like um, lived out in your daily life. So when I went to college, I... You know, like I said, I fully believed I was a Christian. I do think I was, but I definitely didn't understand the importance of not just attending a local church, but being involved in a local church and having a um, having a community who knows you and who can call you out if you are going down a dangerous path. So my college years weren't like wild and crazy. I didn't like drink a ton. I would kind of, I would go to parties and sort of like flirt with that, but never, I held back enough to be like, oh, I'm still, I'm still okay. I'm still, you know, doing the Christian thing. But, you know, I was still, like I said, kind of flirting with a lot of sins that I had no business flirting with. And I was mostly friends with non-Christians. My roommates weren't Christians. I did have a couple of Christian friends. Um, Kelly and I weren't really friends yet <laughs> at this point. Um, but I had a couple of Christian friends who were also kind of like me, like we were not super involved in our church. We would go most of the time, but no one really knew us there. We didn't take a whole lot of time to make sure that people knew us there. Uh, and so I, I think through a combination of, like I said, being apart from Christian community and probably spending way too much time on the internet, uh, was introduced to the concept of feminism. And I grew up in a very, like, very typical Southern Baptist background where, like, we talked about gender roles, but it was more on, like, a surface level, you know, and I knew lots of working moms. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. But I had lots of friends who were working moms, or who had working moms, and uh, gender roles just weren't, they weren't something we really talked about with any sort of depth. Um, we didn't talk about submission a whole lot. There would be a lot of joking about, you know, the, 
the husband, yeah, he's the head of the family because, you know, technically, but like the wife, she really like, you know, if, if mama isn't happy, nobody's happy, like that kind of thing. And so then, and I also through college um, saw a lot of genuine problems with the way that women are treated in society. So um, I had friends who were sexually assaulted. Um, I had encounters with uh, men who were genuinely sexist. I saw genuine problems. And in my mind, I said, well, the church is not addressing these problems. The church is more interested in, you know, telling women how long their skirts should be. Uh, (laughs) um, But I, I did see problems that I still think are real with the way that women are treated in society in general and the way that women are treated in some uh, spheres of the Christian world as well. So um, there was a TED Talk that I listened to by, I'm probably going to butcher her name, but it's Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She's a Nigerian author and speaker, and she has this TED Talk that's from like 2012, I think, which came out like when I was in college, um, where it's literally called We Should All Be Feminists. And she is a very persuasive speaker. She's very calm. She's not angry. She's not, um, actually went back and listened to the TED Talk because I couldn't even remember a lot of what she said. And she, it's funny because now that TED Talk is so tame compared to what you hear now from feminists. You know, she uh, affirmed that men and women are biologically different. She said that, uh, women can have babies and men can't. I was like, oh, get you canceled now. You can't say that now. Um, But she, you know, she made some points. And also she is from Nigeria, so a different culture than we are. And, you know, talked about how it's wrong to expect that women will always enjoy cooking. It's wrong to expect that, uh, you know, a woman, when you're like, she talked about how she'd be out at a restaurant, like with a male friend and uh, the wait staff would like only address him and not her, you know, things like that, where it's like, yeah, that's, that's not right. Um, but then she uses that to kind of paint the, the broad statement of we should all be feminists because men and women are equal in value and women can do anything that men can. And she states it in a way where like, it's, it's kind of hard to disagree with most of what she says, because it seems very innocuous and it seems very obvious. Um, so I really, through that TED Talk and, like I said, a bunch of other time spent on the internet, way too much, uh, really attached myself to that feminist label. And if you ask me what uh, feminism meant or what it meant to be a feminist, I would say I believe that men and women are equal in value and that women should not be treated as less than men, which I'm sure, again, anyone would agree with. Uh, But then as I kind of got further down the road of what it meant to be a feminist, um, that feminist label will kind of start you off with that, like, that gentle, like, men and women are equal, right? Women should be able to do anything that men do, right? And you're like, yeah, that's right, I am a feminist. And then... (laughs) Once you have signed up for their little club, then they tack on this long list of, you also have to affirm abortion. You also have to affirm that trans women are women. You also have to affirm that uh, being a stay-at-home wife and mother is not as fulfilling as being 
a working mom or that a, a working mom can, you know, always have her cake and eat it too. You can have as many kids as you want um, and still go on to have the amazing girl boss career that you want and you'll never have to sacrifice anything. Um, and so as I continued down that path, I kind of kept seeing little cracks like, I don't affirm abortion though. Like I really can't get on board with that, but I'm still a feminist. And this was really at the beginning of like the uh, trans movement. And so then when I started hearing like, well, trans women are women, you know, men who decide that they are women are just as much of a woman as a biological woman is. And I was kind of like, I don't know if I can really get on board with that either, but I still, but I still believe that men and women are equal and there are still problems that the church is not addressing, that feminism addresses. And so it was also around this time where I finally started getting involved in real Christian community. Um, The people who I started spending the majority of my time with were um, not just professing Christians, but people who really um, loved scripture, loved talking about scripture, who really spurred each other on in holiness. And uh, Kelly was one of those people. And uh, I said something earlier about like needing people who really know you, who can call you out. Uh, Kelly became that person for me. She, you know, cause I, to our like, we had like a big friend group of lots of like guys and girls. I was very open about like, yeah, I consider myself a feminist, you know, a Christian feminist. And Kelly would really ask me questions like, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? And I would say, well, you know, there are problems with the way that women are treated that, you know, the church is just not addressing. And she really confronted me about it eventually and was saying like, well, you realize that feminism is a godless worldview. It's not just like a little, you know, philosophical idea that you can kind of tack on to your Christianity. It's an entire worldview. And in their worldview, God does not exist. Mm -hmm. Um, There might be some biological differences between men and women, but they're not of any consequence. Uh, the idea of, you know, women submitting to their husbands, which I, I really don't know how I reconcile the two in my mind, but I was like, yeah, the Bible clearly says that women should, su- should submit to your, their husbands, but I'm a feminist. <laughs> I don't know how I, <laughs> the math there was not working out. Um, but Kelly, I remember her telling me like, this is a godless worldview. So the, the foundation or the, the root of this worldview is rotten. So any way that feminism might seem to address real problems like real misogyny, you know, sexual assault, things like that, even if it seems like they're addressing those problems, and even if some, in some ways there might be some overlap occasionally, uh, it's a godless worldview. And so that fruit, if the root is mm. rotten, the fruit cannot be good. Yeah. And if the problem, because the problem in feminism, what's the problem in the feminist worldview, men, or, you know, at least like misogynist men, depending on which feminist you ask, that might just be all men. Um, <laughs> but in a biblical worldview, the problem is always sin, and the answer is always Christ. In a feminist worldview, the problem is men, the solution is, they haven't quite gotten that far yet. I don't think. Um, It's really sad when you get to into some of these feminist, you know, 
works uh, when they get to the part of like, so what can we do about it? It's like, you know, not a whole lot. <laughs> we just have to like work really hard as women and, you know, show the men what we can do. It's lots of striving. It's lots of, you know, well, the system is corrupt and, you know, you really can't ever overcome a corrupt system. You can just do your best. It's pretty much hopeless. Um, but of course, with the gospel, we have, you know, all our hope is in Christ and he can overcome anything. So it was really through um, Kelly confronting me and some other friends confronting me. And I'm sure the first time we talked about it, I wasn't like, I see the light. You've totally changed my mind. But the Holy Spirit really working um, on my heart and showing me that these two worldviews just can't coexist. One is going to have to win out. And praise God, it was a biblical worldview that won out because I was in a really uh, dangerous place. Um, my life could be very different right now in, I think, a much worse way um, if I had not uh, been confronted and been convicted about my worldview. And your current husband, you guys got together uh, before you were dating to talk about how you were a feminist. Yes, that is so funny. It's a good story. Me and another friend who I kind of, honestly, I probably roped her in and kind of drug her down the feminist uh, black hole. But we met together with my now husband, who then was just a friend, and another guy friend. Because they, you know. Like they I didn't said, understand. Yeah, they didn't understand. We were, like I said, very outspoken about being feminists. And so they were like, we really want to understand better. And we're like, oh, well, we'll tell you. And I remember talking about, like, all this oppression, all the oppression. But you're women. experiencing. And they're like, wow, so you guys have experienced all of this? And we're like, well, not really, but some women have, and it's really bad for them. And again, I'm not trying to make light of like real, there yeah. is real oppression in the world, but I was not experiencing a whole lot of real oppression for me. Right, right. And I feel like um, you paint me in such a great light, but I was very confrontational in college, much more outspoken than I feel like I am now and calling out my friends on all of their issues um, I didn't struggle like Aaron did with the feminism agenda. I was not as in tune to the internet, I don't think. Like, Aaron was very, very plugged in, dialed in, like, for TikTok. Like, you were, like, on YouTube. And I was like, I remember Mark and I went to lunch one day with her and just opening the entire world of YouTube. I was like, wow. Like, that's, like, a whole thing. But anyways, I, as far as... My journey with feminism was more in my heart. I did not realize that I was manifesting a lot of feminist traits um, in the sense of just like the girl boss attitude. Like I knew I wanted to stay home after even though I was like starting my teaching career. I also was went into teaching. I knew I wanted to stay home, but um, the actual like doing submission and like um having like a, a heart that is quiet and trusts in the Lord when you want to like take control and like you want to be the person that is constantly calling the shots and the person whose opinion is louder than everybody else's. And that was something that did not die easily and like growing in femininity and godliness took a very long time so like I had it in my head but it had not reached my heart as far as like producing fruit of like gentleness and 
I don't know. I was just a very boisterous person, which the Lord used in some good ways, but in a lot of ways, it made Mark and I's first few years of marriage, like extremely hard. And he was very patient with me and steadfast in loving me and listening to me. But it was just like, we had a very confrontational time because I just did not, I did not want to like promote peace so much as I wanted to just like be large and in charge and like be right, be right all the time. And like, can I chime in here? Because I think that Kelly and I both had... So our, our theology was the same when we got married. So nine years ago we got married. Almost exactly nine years ago. We, we got married uh, this month, 2014. And um, when we got married, we had the same theology. So that was huge. But our, our natural wiring was almost opposite of our role. If this makes any sense. So like I was not... like I was I am not like naturally like a leader in the way that Kelly would be. Like Ke- Kelly was like a natural born sort of leader person, personality. I was not so much that way. So we knew when we were doing our pre-marriage counseling, we knew that this was going to be an issue. Like and it, it, it was and we, we knew... This, by the way, this is why it's important to get pre-marriage counseling because you will see things hopefully clearly going into your marriage that will probably be real issues you'll deal with in your marriage. And wouldn't you want to know ahead of time what some of the issues will be to be prepared for it? So Kelly and I knew going in, like, my tendency was to be passive in leading. And your tendency was, kind of like you were saying, was to kind of take over leadership. And so we knew that our natural wiring, we're going to have to work against kind of some of our natural personality bents in order that I would not be passive, in order that you would be joyfully in support of my leadership. Those, we just knew that was going to be a challenge. <coughs> and it has been. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I've, still got, I've still got a long way to go on the passivity thing. That's still a struggle I have. Like, it's, it's something that I fall back into naturally because of my flesh. But... I do think that was huge for us to know starting off. Yeah. So, Aaron, with, with marriage, marriage, and then we can get to children, too. But for me, for both of y'all, we're hearing some from our marriage. How did getting married, maybe it didn't affect you in terms of your thinking, but how did it affect you in terms of your understanding the role of the wife and then eventually mother? Yeah, I thankfully had a lot of growth. Um, it was probably like end of 2014, beginning of 2015, when I really started being confronted about my uh, feminist ideology. Um, and then I got married in 2017. So I had some time there for the Lord to work on my heart, which was great. And I'm sure made things a lot easier um, going into marriage than they would have been. Um, so my husband, his personality is, uh, I would say more on the trying to think of a different word. Dominant sounds like negative. Dominant without a bad connotation. He's, uh, he has a strong personality. He's a strong leader. And um, he, part of that, I think, or a lot of that is because his dad is the same way. He's always been a very, a strong leader of their family. There was no like joking about like, oh, you know, his mom, she really wears the pants. His dad is, you know, he's the, the leader, but like there was none of that in their family. Um, and so I kind of knew going into marriage that it was going to be that way with my husband, which is great because um, I do have, like left to my own devices, I have a more dominant personality and I really like to get my way and I am not afraid of confrontation when it comes to getting my way. Um, I remember one time, I can't remember what we were even talking about, but my husband and I were having a discussion about something and I just would not, like he wanted to do one thing and I wanted to do another and I just was not backing down. And he, he said, you, 
you will not yield to me right now. Like you are not, you are not submitting to me right now. And like I said, it wasn't even that important because I can't even remember now what we were even talking about. Um, It wasn't like, you know, I wanted to go get a job and he didn't want me to, but you know, still I was not being submissive and submitting is still not something that comes uh, naturally to me. I find it's harder in the, like the mundane things of life. Like, you know, if he says, I'm like, I'm really having a rough day. Can we just order pizza tonight? And he's like, "Mm, I really think we should just go ahead. And I mean, if you don't want to cook, that's fine. We can just have leftovers or frozen pizza or whatever. But I really think we should just stay home and not order takeout. That will like... I <laughs> oh, can't believe this. <laughs> uh-huh. I, it, now it's, you know, it's, we've been married for six and a half years. So, um, I, you know, the Holy Spirit has worked on me a lot. I've gotten a lot better about those kinds of things. But it's been like the little things that have been harder for me to submit in. Um, but somebody has to. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, it's like the opposite. The, like, the alternative is that Ian gives in to you and he's basically like just submitting to you like someone has to make the decision Mm -hmm. and like somebody calls the shots and like Ian's still considering you but he's also like supposed to lead your family like financially provide is part of his job Mm -hmm. so the fact that he says no we should probably stay home and eat leftovers is not like I just want to like make Erin mad and make her life more miserable like make it like tough make it so we have a like a terrible evening together he's thinking of like a whole host of other things like providing for our family it's probably wiser to stay home right now and eat like we're already here like it's not like he's out to make this decision to like really just peeve you yeah yeah and that's so true it's like when two people in a marriage want two different things, one of you is going to have to change your mind. And that's not to say, and I'm sure you would say the same thing about Mark, that's not to say that he never changes his mind. Right. You know, like it's it's always a discussion. You know, my husband doesn't rule me with an iron fist. and I don't care what you think. We're going to do what I want. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, decisions have to be made. And that's, I mean, that is biblical yeah. submission. Let me just say a word about that. So to the guys in the room, and again, like I said before, Lord willing, most or all of you will be married one day, okay? The, the gift of singleness is a real thing, but it's not for most of us. So either all of you or most of you will be married one day. So to the guys, when God calls you in, to lead, we, we, you use your leadership there in order to do what is best for your wife and for your children. It is never to be used as a selfishness instrument. Okay, That's when you're abusing your leadership. When you say, I just want what I want because I just prefer it, just because that's just how I like things. If you're putting your own preference always above your wife and always insisting on that, that's not biblical male leadership. It should be like Christ leading the church where he does what's best for us. He, he lays down his life for us. So it should be, the husband should be making decisions that he truly believes on Scripture are the best decision for his wife and children. That's, the, that's his goal. And that may mean he gives up a lot of personal preferences in, in the process of doing that, mm-hmm. but that, that's how men are to lead. Uh, when, when the wife is called to submit, she also needs to, at the, at, there's going to be a different challenge there that they're talking about. But for the men, I want to just be loud and clear. This is not about just getting your personal preferences done. It's no. ultimately about serving your family. And you want to do what, what you believe is best before God and, and, and God, God's word. So that, that's just important to keep in mind. Yeah, and as far as like the, I, I mentioned like the, it might be wiser to stay home. 
to save money that night on food or whatever. But the I want you to talk about because you're better. She's better at talking than me. That's just like generally speaking about the concept of like if the man's providing, not that the woman cannot have a job or not that she cannot ever leave the home. But if the man's primary responsibility is to like bear in taking care of and providing and nurturing his family, then he's going to be most likely bringing home a paycheck and the wife's job of like turning that into something, um, using the money to extend love to others through her hands and through what she's buying, like that concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I said, I'm a stay at home mom. My husband works. Um, I don't have a, you know, side hustle or anything like I don't bring home any money you're homeschooling um, yes I homeschool our five-year-old um and you know I'm the, the child care for our kids uh so yeah my husband is the breadwinner so then when it comes to spending a lot of the money who's that, spending it it's me it's almost always me because I'm the one going to the grocery store you know he praise God handles the bills and like the mortgage and the you know, all that stuff, because I hate doing that stuff. But when it comes to, like, you know, groceries or, like, the activities that our daughter is involved in, that kind of stuff, all of that is on me. And so since, you know, we don't, we never talk about money as in, like, this is his money and he's letting me use it. Like, it's our money because mm -hmm. we are a family. Um, but, like, that is a big responsibility for me. And so I always want to make sure that I am stewarding our money well, um, especially because I am not the one who's actually making it. And now a lot of people will talk about being a stay-at-home mom as being, you know, less than or, you know, you're not contributing, which makes me laugh, uh, maybe like an angry laugh, because... <laughs> <laughs> If like if, if I weren't if I weren't staying at home, if I were working and we still had our kids, they still have to be taken care of. So I would you know, my daughter is five, so she could uh, go to public school at this point. That's something that we don't want to do. But, you know, she could go to public school. She could go to, you know, a private school like Westminster. She could. You know, I could send her to, like, if I could have a nanny who could homeschool her for me, she would still have to be taken care of. My two-and-a-half-year-old would also still have to be taken care of. Groceries would have to be bought. The house would have to be cleaned. Uh, the kids would have to be not just, you know, fed and bathed and <laughs> all that stuff, but they, I would want them to be loved. Who is the best person to do all of those things for my children? It's me. And I'm not getting a paycheck for it, but that doesn't mean that I'm not, like, that's still a huge contribution to my household. If I suddenly stopped doing that, everything right. would fall apart. So mm -hmm. using my husband's money, again, our money, um, and stewarding it well is the way that the biggest, one of the biggest ways that I bless my family and my husband. And I do take that really seriously. How, so a little bit more on that, that issue there. So when y'all first, when both y'all first got married, y'all were both working full time. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then when y'all started having kids, now I know that people are going to make different decisions about how, the, how this works out specifically, but I think that what we argued for in class last week was from Titus 2, remember that really controversial phrase about, it says, let the, remember this verse, Vodibachum quoted it, 
um, let the older women teach the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure. And remember that, that dreadful phrase, working at home? Remember that? That the word of God would not be reviled? That's Titus 2, verse 6, right on verse 6. So that is not saying that a woman cannot work outside the home or can't make a paycheck, because Proverbs 31, the woman makes money with her merchandise. She makes money, she makes a profit, she buys a, a vineyard, a field. So we're not saying a, a wife cannot work. Y'all both work full-time when y'all got married. We're also not saying if you have kids, you can't work. Right. But let's get a little bit more, because what Aaron just mentioned I think is important. Th this gets into a wisdom category, and you have to kind of make your decision on what you think is wisest here. But, like, it's not wrong for a woman to have a side job when she has little kids. But when kids get older, do things change dramatically? Yeah. Yeah, if you have, all, if you have, if you have four kids and they're all in school all day, that frees the wife up in a different kind of way, right? So, so But let's talk about... Uh, I think there's not no controversy. When you first get married, if you don't have kids, you're both working full-time, that can make some sense, okay, and, and whatnot. But let's talk about the early years after having little children, and Aaron's already touching on this. How should women think about work? And I'm not asking for, like, the one way that we handle this, but like, how should women think about work when they have young children in the home, especially children who are not yet in school? Any more wisdom on that part of it? I think that's where there's some controversy. I think one of the, like, worst gifts to society is uh, a tyrant two-year-old um that's overstating it it's not the worst gift but it's like if you have a two-year-old an 18 month old in your house like and you are constantly taking them to daycare or a grandmother um they're not going to be able to train your child like they're not going to be able to put in the legwork that only a mother and father can do as far as disciplining your child and what is right and wrong. These are the most malleable years of determining what a child thinks is good, how they should relate to authority, how they should talk to authority. They're literally learning how to talk. So with Maggie and, you know, with Judah, I'm putting the words in her mouth when she's like breakfast. I'm like, no. Can I have breakfast? Like you're asking, you're teaching them what it means to be respectful. And that's not going to happen at daycare for sure. Your grandparents, your parents may help in that process, but they're not going to be able to discipline your children because they're not the parents. So they can support you, but that takes a lot more time than just five to seven before the kid goes to bed. And I think that uh, kid, people bristle at like small children because they're a lot of work and also because a lot of parents aren't doing their job and there are a bunch of two and three year olds running around throwing tantrums because their parents aren't, aren't there training them mm -hmm. to not be like that until like they turn five and it's like, okay, they can go to school and be somebody else's problem and just like mouth off at their teacher. And like, I only have to listen to it like two hours a day before they go to bed. So like, it's like not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, like I said earlier, like someone, if you have kids, someone has to take care of them, whether it's you or a school or a nanny or grandparents or whoever, they have to be taken care of. And I've, I've been like losing sleep over this. I don't want any of you who have working moms. I don't want you to hear me saying <laughs> that your mom is a bad mom. I'm sure she's amazing. I've known so many wonderful working moms and I don't think there is a blanket moratorium in scripture on women ever working or anyone else ever taking care of your kids. I don't think that. But I do think it's pretty clear that the mother is the best person to take care of her own children. It just, it just makes sense. Um, I also think it, it simplifies life so much to know, like, 
I am the main influence in my child's life. And, you know, scripture tells us that women are to be more focused on the home than men are. To be a stay-at-home mom and to know, like, that doesn't mean that I am perfect at that job in any way. I fail every single day, and I'm always trying to learn and grow and be convicted about my sin so that I can be a better mother and a better homemaker. But to know that at least as far as like hours in a day, I am physically at home most of the day. So I'm at least I'm getting that part right. Just kind of simplifies a lot of things. And, um, and just the peace of knowing again, that I'm the main influence in my child's life. You know, even though I'm not a perfect mother by any means, um, I know who's pouring into them. I know what TV shows they're watching. Mm. I know what kind of discipline discipline they're getting. Uh, it just kind of takes a lot of headache and worry out of the equation that just doesn't need to be there. Yeah, when the kids are sick, it's not, does dad need to take off work? Do I need to take off work? Who can I find to like hold my sick child? And sometimes it's going to have to be somebody else because you've chosen your career over your child. So like the child needs to be held more than anything when they're young. And like, you're not going to be the one that does that. It's going to be somebody else. Yeah. I had, um, when I was teaching high school English, uh, my department chair was another teacher who she had been teaching for probably 20 years at that point. She was a phenomenal teacher, um, always did a great job. And one morning uh, before school started, she was standing in the hallway doing her like morning duty. And I came and stood next to her and I could tell that she had been crying and she was trying to, you know, sort of get it together. And, um, she and I were were friends and or I guess more like a mentor kind of relationship and I was just kind of quietly like hey are, are you okay is everything all right and she was like I just she had um a I think like a 16 year old and a 10 year old at the time and she was like I just feel like there is no way for me to be the mother that I want to be and the teacher that I want to be at the same time. Like one of them is always going to have to get sacrificed for the other. And right now I feel like I've been sacrificing my kids. Like I have not been the mother that I want to be and that kills me. And that was, I think I was pregnant with my daughter at the time and I knew that I was going to be quitting at the end of that school year to stay home. But that just like solidified so much for me that I think that's just a concern if you're, you know, a, a mother with a career. And some people bristle at this that, well, men don't feel that way. They don't have that same kind of conflict of, you know, having a career and having children. Exactly, because men aren't women. Men aren't wired the way that women are. Men aren't supposed to be, you know, if only one of you can be uh, more concerned about the sphere of the home and the children that person is going to be the woman. She is, or she should feel the draw to be the person who takes care of that. And so just to not have to worry about having those two conflicting uh, draws in my life, it just brings me so much peace. And um, that's not to say that we haven't sacrificed, that you guys don't sacrifice like for us to to stay home and to not be making money. Like I, it always makes me laugh when people will tell me like people who don't usually, they don't know us very well. They're like, Oh, you're just so lucky that you get to stay home. And like, we didn't make the decision for me to stay home. Cause like ugh, my husband, his job is just so lucrative. We just have so much money. We don't know what to do with it. So you can just stay home and relax 
while we enjoy, you know, the Lord provides for us. We have everything we need, um, but we did not make that decision out of just the abundance yeah. of our income. It's definitely a yeah. sacrifice in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, one more thing. We'll take a break in a few minutes. <clears throat> Another question would be this. And I want, after the break, I want you guys to have questions that y'all can ask. But um, why do you think, and I, I'm sure there's a thousand answers to this question, but why do you think in our culture today, a, a woman with a career job is considered, uh, like, glorified, honored, whereas a woman who stays at home with her children tends to be belittled or mocked in popular culture. Why do you think, I mean, y'all are hinting at it here already, but why do you think, <coughs> like, if, if you see a movie, the stay-at-home mom is going to look frazzled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, what is she doing? And where's the, like, the, the, the queer woman is going gonna, is gonna to be honored in the way that she's presented, in a different kind of way, I think. Why do you think that is? We, um, at, at church, we're, we're in Matthew, and so we spent a lot of time on the Sermon on the Mount, and like in that area, he talks about your reward being in heaven, and that's not really a concept that the world has. Like, if you're doing something behind the scenes, then like, basically, like, why are you, why are you doing it? Like, you do stuff to be seen, you because that's how you also get your validation and your affirmation. So the gospel is completely different in that our affirmation, our validation is already taken care of in Jesus. Like he gives us our identity. I don't have to like make myself like Instagram tells me. Like it's already taken care of. So I can do things like lay down my time and my life and stay home where no one sees what I did today or the past like 20 days and know that like my reward is great in heaven because the Lord is pleased with what I'm doing. And that's a completely different mindset than I'm working and I'm getting money for what I'm doing and I'm getting a like acclaim for what I'm doing and validation for what I'm doing. So like that's going to be seen as like much more glamorous because you are you're getting the glory now. You don't wait for heaven. There's no reason to wait for the glory then because the glory here is what's really what it's about. And that passage about like waiting for your reward in heaven is 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 what that's all about is because the Lord is going to massively bless us if we if we trust him. But if you if you have doubt, then you're going to go for the glory now. You're going to go for like that gift here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the work that you do as a stay at home mom is, you know, it's menial tasks, yeah. you know, that uh, are not glamorous, like changing diapers and cleaning and cooking three meals a day every day. Um, and then often people not eating the food that you complaining make. Complaining about the food you yeah, just made. Yeah, yeah, on the, on the ground. Um, yeah, so you do a lot of work, you know, like Kelly said, you're not getting the recognition. You know, you might get a, a thank you from your husband or a thank you from your kids, which yeah. is always appreciated and really yeah. does mean a lot. Um, but, you know, that might not have the allure of, you know, getting a promotion or getting a raise or, you know, getting the recognition from the outside world. But like Kelly said, we're not working for treasures on earth. We're working for treasures in heaven. And, um, like, I I just think about how many mothers there are in the world, how many Christian mothers who were faithful uh, with their children who, you know, and hopefully I'll be one of them as well, who our treasures in heaven are going to be made from the diapers that we changed and the meals that we made with a thankful heart and with a, um, an attitude of working, like not just for my family, but ultimately unto the Lord. Um, that's so beautiful. And it's something that the world really doesn't understand. Um, I also think, you know, when you think about like, well, what is having a job? Like what, what goes into having a job? 
everyone who has a job, unless you're, you know, I guess like the CEO or something, uh, you have to submit to somebody. You have a boss. You're going to have to submit to them. You're going to have to work. You're going to be doing even, I just want to tell you the uh, little phrase that people like to tell you, like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That is not true. Sometimes you have to work and you are not enjoying it. I am doing what I love right now, staying home. I don't love every single moment, every single task that I have to do. Um, And so even if you have your dream career one day, there's going to be emails to send. There's going to be meetings that should have been emails that you don't want to go to. There's going to be, you know, stuff that you don't enjoy. So you're going to be submitting. You're going to be doing things that you don't always enjoy. And you're going to be sacrificing parts of your life. You know, you're going to be at work when you would rather be at home. You're going to have to, you know, not go to that family event because you have to work. You're always giving up something. And so I just don't understand the idea that if I go and have a job and I'm submitting to my boss, I'm doing menial tasks at work that like ultimately you know, don't have a lot of like outward value and I'm sacrificing my family for my career. That is good. That is worthy. That is (laughs) receiving validation. (laughs) But if I stay home, if I submit myself to my husband who I chose and who chose me and who has vowed to love me as Christ loved the church, what did Christ do for the church? He died for her. So I'm in a covenant with him. You're not in a covenant with your boss. Um, So if I submit to him, if I do menial tasks for my children, who are the people who I love more than anyone else in the world, and do the, you know, other tasks like that for my husband, who I also love more than anyone else in the world, and if I sacrifice, you know, manicures or cute professional clothes or Mm -hmm. vacations or whatever to be a stay-at-home mom, if I do that, that's degrading, but if I do the other option, that is like, wow, girl boss, she's killing it. Like, that just doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. Yeah, I, I want to add one thing. Y'all are already getting at this, too. Yes, the heavenly rewards is, is definitely crucial. But I also think that there are earthly rewards with our children in the future that imagine missing out on that. In other words, being able to invest, like y'all are talking about, in your children at young ages and develop them and raise them in the Lord the payoff for that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, to have adult children one day who love you and who you serve and help raise in the in, in the gospel, that is a reward that goes beyond anything I can imagine. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and that's that's in this life. I mean, Lord willing, that's in this life. And then there's also heavenly rewards too. So I, I don't want to minimize the, the earthly rewards of raising yeah. godly children. Mm-hmm. I think that is an unbelievably... No, what, what higher calling is there actually than raising children in the love of the Lord, in, in the gospel? And that's what we, Mark and I talk about a lot when we're having our fourth child. Like, that's a lot of kids. Um, but talking about, like, living with no regrets is, like, a common thing. And Mark's like, what are we going to regret when we're, like, 50? Are we going to regret having another child? And it's like, no. Like, we're going to regret that we stopped and that our house is not even more full than it already is with like joy and hopefully grandchildren and um, just people like people are so much more important than any acclaim that you can get from a job. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, let's pause right here.